Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome everyone to another episode of Revolution Recap. The New England Revolution improved their playoff odds on Saturday night with a 2-1 victory over the Chicago Fire. Wilfred Zahibo slotted home a branded by cross in the first half, netting his first goal of the year and giving the Revs a 1-0 lead until a Francisco Calvo header tied the game before halftime. However, Gustavo Bo brought home all three points for the Revs in the 86th minute with a rocket of a shot that turned out to be his third goal in three games and his fifth goal in his first seven MLS games. I'm Greg Johnstone, back from vacation. Joining me today is Seth McComer of the Bent Musket. Seth, welcome back to the podcast. How's it going? Yeah, happy to be here. And uh, big congratulations to you for getting married. I have to say I'm a little disappointed because I know when Sean got married, you tweeted it out so everyone got to congratulate him. Uh, but I don't believe that Sean returned the favor. No, I, you know, it didn't happen. Um, I'll, I, I, I'll give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because he had a best man speech duty, so maybe he forgot. Um, now I, I gave his best man speech too, and I, I gave a better speech just between us. Um, so I, I remember to do it, but maybe just he, it kind of slipped his mind at the time. I'm not really sure. But anyway, enough about me. Kind of want to get into this game. Uh, the Revs have had some positive results since I've been gone. Um, they drew the New York Red Bulls 1-1 uh, in a pretty key road point, and then obviously last week took all three points. Um, Seth, what was your key takeaway from the Chicago Fire match last week? Yeah, for me, I've long talked about the the fact that the Revs have lacked a game changer, a guy who can just take the game over and turn uh, something out of nothing, or in the case of Bo, I'd say something out of little. It just seems like over and over again, we see that that Bo strikes at crucial moments and gives a... Gives the Revs something uh, more than maybe they deserve or more than uh, or, or certainly what they need at that given moment. So this past weekend, we see that Bo presses high, wins the ball and uh, scores late in the game with a beautiful goal and gets the Revs three points in a game that was kind of back and forth. I really could have gone either way. And, uh, you know, we saw that same thing the week before where in New York. He, he does the what he needs to do to get that moment and to score in that goal. So, uh you need a game changer sometimes. You know, you look at a player like Zlatan over in the LA Galaxy, and yes, you know, there's some drama with him. I'm certainly not comparing Zlatan to um, Gustavo Ball, but at the same time, you never know when Ebro's going to do some sort of magical thing and put the game on his back and win the, uh, the three points or get a crucial uh, tie that's critical in the playoff race. He just has that little bit of magic to him. And, you know, you think about a talented player like Carlos Hill. He's very, very good. He's, you know, working hard on defense. He's finding that final pass. But he's not the game changer. He's not the guy that can just, you know, be the all-star, be the uh, superstar you need on the team to, to do that uh critical thing in the crucial moment. And to me, Gustavo Bo is that. I mean, you you read his stat line right there. That's pretty impressive for a guy who's coming into this league brand new. Uh, we often talk about how it's difficult to translate uh, and come in from a different league and join MLS. Gustavo Bo is, is bucking the trend. He's showing that uh, if you're a talented player, if you're a player who can, um, you know, put the ball into the net, that can do these, like, talented, world-class type of things, and you come to MLS, there's no problem. You could be able to do those same type of things. And um, he's been definitely worth the money. Yeah, and 
you know, he, he scored once in this game, but there were multiple times he was dangerous. He had five shots total, three of them on target. All three of his shots were rockets. Uh, I, I, one of them, he had his back towards goal. He kind of didn't really control it, and it was kind of a little bit behind him, and he was able to just kind of turn quickly and shoot. And, and the ball is saved, but, you know, he, he took a quality shot with not a lot of time, with not a lot of space, and he still made something happen. Um, he also had a free kick that was, you know, it, it went over the bar, but it was a rocket. Um, I mean, all five of those shots, you had the sense that they could have been goals or they had the potential to be goals. Um, and, you know, Gustavo Bo is something that we lacked earlier in the season where, you know, say the Columbus game when the Revs are down one nothing and they're looking for a spark. I mean, in this game, it seemed like Gustavo Bo just kind of had that sense of just give me the ball and I'm going to create something. And, and he ended up doing exactly that, uh, where he kind of had an unassisted goal. He got a steal, had one touch and a, and a really, really nice shot to, to win the game. Um, but that's what they were lacking before. They didn't have that guy of, you know, it's the, the clock is winding down. Who is the guy you're getting the ball to? Who who do you have the confidence in? And Gustavo Bo, you know, we saw from his tape from, from Mexico that he can score from anywhere. And just having that guy like Gustavo Bo, if you get him the ball enough, one of those shots is going to go in. So I agree with everything he said. Uh, he is a game changer for the Revs, and I think uh, he's also taking a lot of pressure off of Carlos Heel, who is able to be a passer, be a distributor, kind of lie back a little bit more. And instead of scoring goal, he's creating chances. Um, he's been a, everything that the Revs have wanted and more. So um, really, really positive marks uh, uh, for Gustavo Bo. I'm going to kind of go with a bit of a, more of a negative takeaway, and that's I'm not totally happy with the Revs set piece defending a lot of people have made a big deal about um, the revolution's defense kind of coming into their own uh, since Bruce arena took over. But um, I felt the set piece defending against Francisco Calvo was quite poor. And maybe I just have PTSD from last season, but I was just thinking of the DC game when they had another brutal uh, defensive set piece. And then obviously today, Francisco Calvo really unmarked in the box. A lot of people feel it was offsides, but regardless, it was poor marking all the way around. Um, and I think that that is a pretty big liability that the revolution have. It's something that I feel has improved or at least is not being exposed as much. Uh, but every time there is a free kick, I, I still get that sense of nervousness uh, that I do last season. Um, and I'm not, I'm not totally sure if it's just not talked about as much, but I, I do think that's a major weak point for the revolution uh, going into the playoffs, knock on wood. Um, and, and that could be something where they're exposed. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you talking about the playoffs because in those cagey type of games where one goal could be the difference, uh, we often talk about set pieces and how important those can be. Luckily, on the other end of the field, the refs have improved in set pieces. I mean, Carlos Heel has been been quite good there. Players are getting on the end of those uh, those those crosses. Uh, obviously, he has a good connection with Gustavo Bell on those opportunities. So it's good that that end of the field is, is improving. But I agree with you. I think that um, the refs need to be better on set pieces especially we as we get closer to the playoffs we should move on to uh, another player that um, was talked about while we we're talking about the back line there was one big substitution and i'm curious about your thoughts seth because i i've i think i've mistakenly become uh, edgar castillo's public defender here uh but dewan jones got a start last week and uh, a lot of people are kind of curious how dewan jones would do a lot of people feel dewan jones should be getting the start at left back uh over edgar castillo who has kind of been a disappointment in general for for refs fans overall 
we actually did get a question too. Do you think Dewan Jones convinced Bruce Arena to start him over uh, Edgar Castillo? Um, I will say Edgar Castillo, we got an injury report from Jeff Lemieux earlier this week. It sounds like Edgar Castillo will be out a little bit, so we'll be seeing a little bit more of Dewan Jones. But Seth, uh, I wanted your thoughts on Dewan Jones um, taking over at left back in the short term and how he did Saturday. Yeah, he's been fine. I mean, what he is is a lot of energy, right? Like his best quality is his pace. The best uh, quality is his engine, his ability to continue to use that pace to get up and down the field. He's not necessarily the best and most natural tackler. Um, he can get into good spots by using his pace. And uh, we haven't really seen a lot as far as crosses go. Um, but, I mean, he's been fine. I mean, I think that he's decent enough. Um, he's working hard enough. I mean, that, that that's that rookie attitude that you have to if you're not necessarily the best player on the field you have to be the hardest working player on the field and i think that uh dewan jones does that um i think that if castillo is healthy we probably would have seen more castillo he's got that veteran presence uh his service is pretty good we have seen him combine quite a bit with gustavo bow and even though he's had those big mistakes uh defensively and he's not necessarily always getting back it seems like bruce arena was really relying on him during those games uh, so I, I don't know if Bruce Arena would have made that change just late in this, uh, the this, this season because he, he wants to go with those veteran guys, the guys who have been around the block. But Dewan Jones will probably continue to get that left-back spot. One thing I think is interesting that, that could happen, I don't necessarily see it happening, especially after, you know, Bai gets that um, that assist in this game. But with Delamea apparently kneeling full fitness and being ready to come back uh, into the lineup, or at least into the 18. I wonder if we somehow see uh, Andrew Farrell slide out to the right and we see Delamea maybe partner with Nancy Ann, maybe partner with Anibaba, and we see Brandon Bai go to the left, which we have seen in the past. Remember, Brandon Bai was a player who, who you know, was a midfielder, was an attacker in college, transitioned to the back line and played a lot of left back during his rookie season. Um, that would, I think that to me, if we see that, that would say a lot about what the coaching staff thinks of uh, Dewan Jones. Um, I don't necessarily see it happening. I, I think that if Delamea is healthy, we probably see him come in and work with Andrew Farrell because I thought that partnership was was pretty good. But if Bruce Arena really thinks that uh, Mancian is continuing to get better and that he's going to be an asset, especially uh, uh, you know, especially considering how much money he makes, um, maybe he, he stays in that central role and he, and he partners with with Delamea. Uh, and, and honestly, I mean, I, I've been pretty hard on Mancy, and I thought he was okay this past game. Not, I don't think he's ever going to be the type of player who who earns plays like his contract. And I, I really don't think he covers enough ground. I think that oftentimes uh, he struggles. You know, even even when he was full health last year, I'm assuming he was at full health last year. There was just times that he just got absolutely smoked. I believe it was the RSL game where I was just like, "What is going on here?" Like. It, it didn't even look like he was trying in that moment. And granted, it was at the latter stage of the game where he got smoked. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily think Mancian should stay there, but it's a possibility considering you know the lack of depth back there and the ability to move around some of those more uh, versatile players. Yeah, and and we actually, I'll, I'll get to a quick question about Mancian while he comes up because I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on him. But um, yeah, I didn't think Mancian was particularly that sharp in this game either there are a couple balls they failed to clear there are a couple balls that seem to kind of squeak by him a little too easily um he wasn't exactly the vacuum that we kind of expect him to be um you know if, typically with michael mancien um he's really good at clearing a ball uh with his head um he's really good at uh, uh clearing balls really on the ground he, he really is a little bit better than i think a lot of people give him for because they look at the contract and they expect a mls defender of the year 
Um, and and he, he has done decently, I felt, but um, yesterday he, he seemed to be a little bit off his game, and I'm, he... Uh, I, he seems to be a rotatable piece um, to me. Uh, we did get a question from uh, Discord from Dave Aikman. He asked us, uh, with Mancien back, what would your first choice central pairing be in a playoff game? So we'll we'll consider it's a difficult opponent, maybe, let's say, Atlanta United on the road. Um, would Mancien make your center back pairing, Seth? No, I think that I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt uh, in the sense that I've, I'm used to him the previous two games making glaring mistakes that lead to goals and he didn't do that this past week probably fortunate that he didn't do that this past week and uh i mean me saying that he did okay is just me recognizing that he didn't he wasn't responsible chiefly for a goal you know because like i said in the past games i just thought he was just so slow and sloppy and and he wasn't covering ground his clearances weren't weren't sharp and and i I agree with you that they, they weren't necessarily sharp this past weekend but it didn't lead to a goal um and, and and again the benefit of the doubt of the fact that he's been out for a very very long time and kind of pushed into playing a five-man back line so they can ease him into it and i mean that's pretty daunting to have to he basically had to come back right i mean like there wasn't many options along the back line so i'm trying to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt but if if we're doing a if we have a a playoff game if the Reds have a playoff game this weekend um and and we have like this this roster that's that's available right now. I put Delamea and I put uh, Farrell there. I thought those guys were working pretty well there. I think Farrell was has actually impressed quite a bit uh, at the center back position, especially years earlier when he's under uh, Jay Heaps and getting the opportunity there. It just looked like it was emergency defending after emergency defending. He definitely looks a little calmer back there. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, a few weeks back I asked. Um, Brad, uh, sorry, I asked uh, Bruce Arena, old habits die hard, I guess, with Brad Friedel. But uh, I asked Bruce Arena, is Andrew Farrell a center back? And he's like, well, right now he has to be because that's the only option that we have. I don't know what the future holds for Andrew Farrell. But I think that he's he's done well enough that maybe he continues to play that spot. So, and Delamea, to me, like, when he was healthy, uh, when he got back from his last injury and came in, I just, I was just very, very impressed by him to the point that, like, I, I think it'd be great if he continues his, his career here in – uh, New England. That said, I don't know if it's worth it given the injury history. I mean, the guy's just constantly struggling with injuries, and I imagine you you want to try to bring some. Uh, Bruce Arena probably wants to bring some guys in that are going to co- consistently be healthy. So to to go back and and you know take the the winding road back to your question, uh, those would probably be my center backs, Brandon By, who you know he has his flaws, but he's working hard. He's he's doing everything he can to hold on to that spot. Um, he'd probably be my right back, and and given that Castillo's injured, Dewan uh, Jones would probably be my left back. Yeah, I, I agree with that um, lineup. I would say, and another thing too that I didn't realize until someone mentioned it on Twitter today: um, Andrew Farrell has not played right back since Bruce Arena was fired, um, and that's according to Who Scored. Who Scored has his last appearance at right back, the away game, the five nothing game at Chicago. Um, since then, Andrew Farrell has moved to the center and has played fine, which has, is a bit. Surprising, I would say, because we remember the 2015 season when they moved him from right back to center back and he looked a little bit out of place. Um, Andrew Farrell has been pretty solid overall as a center back. And, you know, it seems like with a lot of rotating pieces, with people coming back from injury, um, you know, Annie Baba, De La Maya, Mancien, all kind of moving in and out of the lineup. Um, the question is kind of who are they pairing with Andrew Farrell? And I think Bruce Arena has a lot of trust that Andrew Farrell can play center back. Um, I, I also think, too, that Brandon Bay is the right back going forward. Um, I, I actually mentioned uh, 
the suggestion you made earlier, Seth, I, I think I mentioned a few weeks ago that I'm not opposed to Andrew Farrell moving to the right back spot and then moving Brandon By to left back like he did last year. Um, but I think uh, they really value Brandon By's ability to push up, uh, to kind of drive some low crosses, as we saw in that Zahibo goal. Uh, I, I think that those are qualities that um, Bruce Arena is looking for, and I think they really like Brandon By as the right back. Um, and then in terms of uh, left back, um, I, I think I kind of value Edgar Castillo's uh, veteran experience. I know I'll probably get tortured for that again. But, but uh, you know, Dewan Jones, as you kind of said, going all the way back to Dewan Jones, uh, which we originally started talking about, um, you're right. I think you said it really well. Um, if you're not going to be a great defender, you kind of have to make up for things. And Dewan Jones is an amazing athlete. He's got speed for days. Um, there are a couple of times he was beat, uh, but he recovered a little bit well. Um, Chicago clearly tried to um, push that right side with Fran- Frankowski. Um, and Dewan Jones caught up to him two or three times. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think overall Dewan Jones had a decent game, didn't get exposed too, too much. I think him and Panillo were the two guys that were that uh, Calvo ran straight through on that set piece. But that set piece defending, I, I think that's just Dewan Jones not being a defender uh, and Christian Panilla not being a defender. Um, overall, Dewan Jones stats uh, 85% pass accuracy, one for two on take-ons, 10 ball recoveries. Um, he did win the ball a couple of times in this game, which was kind of impressing. Um, he was 12 for 13 in the attacking third, although none were really inside the box. 0 for 1 on crosses, 2 for 4 on tackles, 1 interception, 1 block, 2 for 2 on clearances, 2 for 4 on the aerial duels. So for a rookie winger out of Michigan State converting to left back, uh, I thought Dewan Jones did pretty well and has some qualities that makes him a bit of an asset in the left back spot. And if Edgar Castillo does not come back, um, you know, is there a huge drop off between Edgar Castillo and Dewan Jones? Not really. I, I think they miss Edgar Castillo's ability to cross the ball in the box, like you said. Um, but Dewan Jones, as, as you said, makes up a lot with his speed and it makes him a, we- a weapon on that left side where they're trying to push the ball. Uh, no, I, I, I agree with everything. I agree with everything you said right there. Um, and, and I think like you, if we're in a playoff and Castillo's healthy, I'd probably go with him experience i mean you know those playoff games are so testy especially this year where it's a one-off playoff game uh you kind of want a little bit of experience and and you want someone that can especially if he gets forward and has that accurate cross because he does have an accurate cross we see it and maybe that can be the difference in a game where you know everything's being packed uh and everything's uh being overloaded in the middle maybe you need someone like castillo to get up there and offer that that cross that that leads to a goal of course you, you if you do Start him, you're going to have space in behind that's going to be dangerous uh, and that could be exploited, but that's kind of the gamble that you you run right now with with Castillo. I also think, too, Dewan Jones, his speed is such an asset for a guy coming off the bench. Like, if it's, you know, the 60th minute of a game, uh, you know, Dewan Jones putting a guy that fast with fresh legs into the game might be a bit of a game changer. Uh, so I think ideally, if we had a more defensive option at left back, maybe you are able to go that route and then put Dewan Jones in to kind of, if you needed an extra attacker going down the left wing late in games. But um, I don't think the refs have that benefit. I think it's either going to be Dewan Jones or Edgar Castillo for 90 minutes. And I don't think they really want to get into a, um, you know, substitution pattern with those two guys. Cause I think they're, two two like players and, and there isn't going to be too much of a trade-off but um another guy that I, I we did get a question about and the only rev to make player uh or the team of the week uh wilford zahibo uh, mike kennedy asked us uh, our thoughts on his performance uh he says that his uh, zahibo's size and strength on the ball are two uh, are, are his big, biggest assets 
They intercept a bu- he intercepted a bunch of over-the-top passes and turned it into counter-attacking opportunities based on size and good positioning. Um, I agree with that assessment totally. I thought this was one of Wilfred Zebo's best games as a rev. Um, and, and apparently, a couple weeks ago, he had appendicitis uh, right before the Red Bulls game. He, on, on Thursday, went to the hospital on Thursday or Friday. They said that on the Fire Post podcast. Uh, then went down, played in the Red Bulls game, uh, kind of fought his way through it. Um, yeah, Seth. What are your thoughts on Wilfred Zahibo's performance? Um, it's kind of odd praising Wilfred Zahibo. I know we've been critical of him in the past, but uh, do you have positive reviews of him also? Yeah, I mean, it, he's another guy who's just benefited from from Bruce Arena taking over, right? I mean, it just seems like everyone knows what they're actually supposed to be doing at every given moment. And I think that like Bruce Arena has simplified roles and say, you know, um, you have Casado really trying to shield that back line quite a bit. You say you have Zahibo playing in front of him, being that ball winner, trying to distribute. I mean, I think that those types of understanding about where should you go on the field. I don't know if you've already saw the um, like the training videos that the Rams put out, but when they do the aerial view, you can see that the field is actually chalked out into different areas. So I'm sure he's talking about like different zones of the field, and you should be going here, you should be going there. And it just feels like everyone has a better tactical understanding of what to do under Bruce Arena, and um, you, you, like he's always had the size. I remember, I remember the very first interview that uh, I had the opportunity to talk to Bruce Arena, and somebody asked a question about Zahibo, and he basically said, you know, he should be winning more balls with his size. You know, he was just super impressed by the specimen that is uh, Zahibo. He she would be winning headers. He should be, you know, uh, out jumping guys and winning 50-50s and all that good stuff, but he just really wasn't doing that. And I think part of the reason why was because, you know, under... Brad Fudo, this pressing system and try to get everyone high, it just put a lot of, you know, you know, wear and tear on the guys and, and it didn't always lead to being in the right position to win the ball in the right way. You know, there sometimes if you didn't win the ball high up, now you're starting to chase the game, you're leaving space behind you. And now that the Reds are, are you know, really just playing soccer instead of just, you know, going all out all the time, they're able to put themselves in the right spot to to win those 50-50s better and move the ball better. And uh, just to kind of praise Wolfgang Wolf Zahibo a little bit more, I mean, the goal is a perfect goal for someone who's a center mid. You know, all the time you're talking about get the ball wide and hit across, whether it's across, you know, at the six, or maybe a cut back, and then wait for one of those late players to make a run in because that's a hard to track. You know, when Wolfgang Zahibo comes out of nowhere, it, it, odds are he's running past the guy who's supposed to mark him. Okay, so for a while, a defensive midfielder is probably kind of chilling out. So the guy who's supposed to mark him, kind of like, oh, he's not going to run. He's just chilling out. He's just chilling out. And then all of a sudden, one of these players make the darting run forward. It goes undetected because the guy who's marking him is so used to chilling out and the fact that this guy's not going to make the run. So kudos to him for recognizing the opportunity. Kudos to to Brandon Bob. Again, you mentioned it. We criticize him a lot. Like when there are crosses that, that just are not good. The crosses are, are, are going well over everyone's head at times, but I've said it a few times on Twitter, when Brandon Bayer puts the ball on the ground, they're pretty dangerous. You know, if they can get the, the, the opportunity to catch an opponent on the break and just hit one of those low crosses, uh, people are usually in the box to try to make something of it. So kudos to, to both players. I agree with you. Uh, Wilfred Zahibo had a good game overall. I mean, he's had some mad games under Bruce Arena, but this is definitely not the guy that we saw under uh, Brad Fiedel. Uh he definitely understands his role much better and is fulfilling it. Yeah, and and one th- quick thing about Brandon By, I- I'd like to see him kind of 
at a uh, aerial cross to his uh, his toolbox because I think if he's able to put the ball in the air, uh, I, I think there's he's going to be a much more dangerous right back. Uh, he does have a really nice low cross, but usually there's people there to block. And um, you know, on that play, uh, Carlos Heel and uh, Gustavo Bo were kind of outside of the box. They kind of led by um, down the wing by himself um, with some space, and that's how Bai got that low cross in. And as you say, Wilfred Zahibo took advantage of the space. I think Heel and Bo kind of being outside of the box might have drawn some defenders away and, and kind of fallen asleep thinking about Wilfred Zahibo because when is Wilfred Zahibo ever going to score? Uh, but you're right, a wonderful cross by Wilfred Zahibo outside of the Montreal game last year. I think it was Montreal where he, I think he scored two two times or yeah. three times. Uh, outside of that, we haven't really seen him as an offensive weapon, um, but he really contributed to the offense in this game. Um, he was 67 480 passing. Uh, that's the most passes completed and attempted in the game. Uh, he was 19 for 26 in attacking third passing. Um, outside of Carlos Heel, who was 21 for 32, uh, he had the most passes completed in the attacking third um, and the second most uh, uh, attempted. Uh, so he was involved in the offense in this game uh, because he was winning a lot of those balls. He was two for three on take ons, seven ball recoveries, three for three on aerial duels, one tackle one interception um uh he had, did have one foul uh committed but um and another thing too i want to compliment him on and i know that we've criticized him for it seth uh but there are a couple times dewan jones was up the field uh pushing up which is what he's supposed to be doing and there was some space on the right side and dewan jones did come back and cover for him a little bit uh that's been a criticism too where he seems to be a little bit slow getting back um doesn't recognize guys behind him uh he he did i think he's done a really good job uh tracking back uh this season so um, Wilfred Zibo kind of turning into the player that was advertised when he came uh, to the team uh, in, in 2018. So um, really good things to see. And I think he's another Bruce Arena favorite where he's got the tools, he's got the size and the strength. Um, he, he might be a key contributor um, down the road. Uh, and, and one more thing I'll bring up is that we had a question a few months ago. Um, it must be a few months ago at this point, of who has improved the most under Bruce Arena. I think Wilfred Zahibo has improved the most under Bruce Arena. This is a guy that um, really, I don't think, I think a lot of people wouldn't have put in the starting lineup, um, but he's been quietly putting in quality week after quality week. Uh, and I think, obviously, with the team of the week, he's now being recognized for it. Um, but I think uh, a lot of Revs fans have kind of been noticing uh, Zahibo's improvement uh, over the 2019 season. One more guy that I want to kind of mention, uh, we did get another question about him, Randy LH. Uh, asked us thoughts on Diego Fagundes' performance. Didn't look great by the eye test. Any idea why that is? Um, Fagundes was really quiet in this game. His, his numbers aren't terrible. He had 79% passing, 10 for 16 in the attacking third. Um, although he was only 15 for 23 on passes going forward, he was 14 for 14 backwards. So his pass accuracy is a little... Uh um, a little fluky, I would say. Uh, six ball recoveries, one one for four on tackles. Overall, a very quiet game. Didn't really contribute much offensively or defensively. Um, Seth, do you have any thoughts on Diego Fagundes and what to do with him? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's difficult. I mean, uh, to me, this would be the perfect opportunity for Diego Fagundes to have shown something in this game because he comes in, he's playing against guys who love to interchange. I mean, it, it's, it's fun to watch the, the Revs attack right now because Gustavo Bo is moving all around the field. Carlos Hill is moving all around the field. Uh, Teal Bumber, who we should probably talk about with the injury that, that he had, uh, moving all around the field. It just seems like guys just love to interchange, like to, to create different opportunities, overlap, just, just make it hard for the defense to track. So to me, it makes sense that uh, Diego Fagundes, who is that type of player, would have had a good game. You know, would have been a little bit more noticeable working on both sides of the ball and, and coming inside, going outside. But really, he had a very quiet night. And um, I think it's I think it's going to be an interesting offseason for Diego Fagundes because 
it might be time for him to move on. I mean, we've heard a few different times rumors that, you know, that he's going to move back to, to Europe or go move to Uruguay or maybe he'll go overseas somewhere. Um, I'm not exactly sure what his future holds. I mean, he obviously still has a bright future. I'm sure that some teams would be interested in bringing him in considering he's still a young player. Uh, but maybe it's time to for the Revs to move on. I mean, that he, he did have a good season last year. He's had a, a few different good seasons throughout his, his history. But there's also been some inconsistency. And if Bruce Arena is looking to trade someone uh, within MLS and try to, to get some value out of him, uh, maybe the Bruce uh, D.F. Gunas is that guy. Or maybe they sell him outside the league and try to get a little bit of money for him because uh, – you know, I'm assuming that Diego Fagundes isn't happy sitting sitting on the bench or or you know playing every now and then, not getting those consistent starts. And I assume that uh, there are teams that might be interested in, in taking him on. One thing I think is interesting is that um, we saw Kellen Rowe get traded this year, and a lot of people were very very high on Kellen Rowe, talking about how you know the Reds weren't using him properly, and that this guy has a lot of potential, former national team player, and he goes to. Uh, Sporting KC and, and doesn't really get a lot of minutes. I mean, he fell out of favor to the point that he was play, playing with the second team. Um, and now he gets traded to Real Salt Lake. Granted, that trade was because he, he's soon going to be a free agent and you might as well get something for him as opposed to nothing. I wonder uh, what teams are thinking of Diego Fagundes. Are they thinking that the, the Reds are misusing him? Are they thinking that maybe he's, he's not... Um, not as, as high potential as, as people think. I mean, granted, he's, he is coming off a season where he just did well, but his numbers aren't really there this season. And I think it's what particularly is interesting is that where Brad Friedel, I think a lot of people could question his tactics and question uh, whether he's using players to the best potential. Now Diego Fagundes is playing under Bruce Arena, who, who you know, generally speaking, a lot of people think has a, is a good, um, good eye for talent. You know, so does that change things at all if Diego potentially moves on? So it, it'll be really interesting. I mean, may, maybe Bruce Arena wants to keep him there because he thinks that, you know, giving him an offseason, he can start doing something with him. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets traded in the offseason, uh, which would be, to me, a big statement because the Revs have, you know, touted how, how, their homegrown network has been pretty exclusive and how Diego Fagundes is this guy who came to the team so young and scored against Chivas USA and really has been the face of the team for, for quite a while now. So if they do trade him or do sell him, it's kind of a mark that, hey, we're here to win no matter what it is. We're not going to show loyalty to any players in particular. Um, if you're not performing well or we believe that you you could be sent elsewhere so we could bring a piece in that we truly need, um, that would be a pretty powerful message to send. Yeah, and it's worth noting to Diego Fagundes, this was his fourth start under uh, Bruce Arena, his first start since the 2-0 win against Cincinnati. So it's his first start in four games. Um, and I, I think this was a chance to impress, uh, but he really didn't play that great kind of playing on that right side. I, I think a lot of it just comes down to Carlos Hill and Gustavo Bo are both kind of guys they want kind of playing centrally and really involved with the ball. Um, I think Bruce Arena had a quote earlier that Gustavo Bo is not really a 10, not really a 9. He's kind of a 9.5. And, uh, and then Carlos Hill is also kind of your central playmaker. Um, and I, I think that's kind of where Diego, Diego Fagundes fits best. I, I don't think he's had a really good performance on the wing. I don't think he's played really well on the wing in a while. Um, I don't think he is really a fit in the 
central defensive midfield. And when you have Zahibo and um, Luis Caicedo and Juan Agadello kind of playing an eight, I don't, I don't know where Diego Funes really fits on this team anymore. Um, so uh, I, I think he's a super sub going forward for the rest of the season. Um, and you're right. I, I don't know where he goes at the end of the season. I, I think he's going to think he's too good to sit on the bench or come off and play 20 minutes a night. Um, and I, I think he's right in that. And of course, uh, which we've talked about multiple times, the um, rumors with Uruguay um, and his father, who obviously is never happy when uh, Diego sits. So um, I, I don't think this will be an issue coming for, going forward through the rest of the season. Uh, but there are some parallels with Cal and Rowe um, comparison that you agree that you, you mentioned, Seth. And we've talked about this a couple of times, too. I'm not really sure what his trade value is. I think it was right for the Revs to keep him because, you know, I, I don't want the Revs to sell him for... 20 cents on the dollar mid-season um, but towards the end of the season I believe his con- they have an option contract or, or an option year for his contract next season um, after that uh, I, I don't think Diego Fagundes is re-signing so it'll be interesting to see how they approach uh, that type of situation because I think Diego is being a little bit squeezed out and uh, I would have really liked to have seen a, a great performance from him yesterday but um, he, he doesn't seem to be really comfortable um, in the kind of odd spots where uh, Bruce Arena is putting him. He's, he's kind of just taking the spots that uh, they need the most, not exactly where his skills fit um, the best. So we did get a question about the uh, attacking line. Uh, Cameron Young asked us on Twitter, uh, should we look at having a front four of JFC, Gustavo Bo, Carlos Hill, and Pania or Teal uh, to get players into their more preferred position? Uh, so he, he kind of thinks that might be a good attacking four uh, going forward. Um, Mike Kennedy also asked us if JF uh, Caicedo should start. Um, he thought the Revs attack was more potent with him on the field. Um, so, Seth, let's, let's start with JF Caicedo, who came off as a uh, kind of last-minute sub. Um, I personally like him kind of in that role because he can finish some shots, but um, outside of finishing, he doesn't really do a whole lot. He does hold the ball really well. I do think he can pass you know, a little bit on guys that are kind of cutting in behind him. Um, but overall, I, I think he's a little bit slow. I think he's a little bit one-dimensional. And I think compared to guys like Christian Pena or Teal Bunbury, uh, I, I don't, I, I think I'd rather see um, those guys on the field as opposed to JFC. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, Caicedo? I, I, also, I do think that uh, Caicedo too. I've been talking about this for a while. I think that he's a true number nine. I, I do think that he's, He's a bit slow. I do think that his sharpness isn't totally there. But to me, uh, Gustavo, so you have Teal Bumber. He's obviously a speedy guy. He's a guy who's going to be the first defender. He's going to press. Uh, he's working really hard. So even when he was going through his cold streak, he's still so invaluable that can be on the field and give you about 110%. So I understand why he's on the field. And I get when he comes off the field, you put another speedy guy in like Christian Pania. But Christian Pania is not the hold the ball up type striker. He's he's not really a striker at all. I mean, he's a, a, a left midfielder. He's a winger to, to run at people, um, to try to, to catch someone on the counter. Maybe you could play with him uh, with a second striker. We've seen that sometimes. With, with Gustavo Bell working later, especially in the later parts of the game when, they're, when the defense is a little tired. Uh, you can put Christian Pena to, there to kind of attack people. But I thought that Christian Pena didn't really look good in the first half playing that, that uh, striker role. And we saw in the second half, we saw Gustavo Bell play more that attacking role. And we saw Pena move to the left-hand side. And we saw Bo kind of struggle there because he's not that true number nine. He's he's more the guy that floats around and then picks up the ball and punishes a, a team in those given moments. So um, I didn't think 
Casado did anything magical when he came in at all, you know, but he's just this big body that is going to hold the ball up, that's going to occupy defenders, and I think that he also has that little bit of, of flair to him. We've seen in games before where he's doing these back heels and he's trying to, you know, do a little bit with the ball inside the box, and, and for me, I, you know, I think guys like uh, heel and I think guys like uh, Bo thrive off that. You know that little interchanging plays, these little connections that you you make on the field. Uh, I think that can make a big difference. And you know, Teal Bumber is is you know he's a, he's a fine player. He's a, he's definitely a good person. Um, but he, he's not the type of guy who's going to to play these like given these these fancy given goes inside the box. You know, he just his touch isn't quite there. His passing can be a little bit too hard. It's just a little bit off. Where uh, even though Casado can't run properly, even though he's not finishing all the chances you want him to to finish, he can do some of those classic number nine traits. So I think if Teal Bumber is out long term, I'd rather see. Um, I'd rather see Casado two up there. And last this past week, they're able to 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 take uh, Pania and really work on him and say, okay, you have to be there as a speedy guy who presses, who brings the ball down and combines with Gustavo Bo. If they're able to work with with uh, him this week and and do those types of things, maybe we see Pania start up top again. Otherwise, I say you start with um, Casado as the, the number nine, you give him 60 minutes, 55 minutes, maybe push it to 70 minutes and see what happens uh, with him playing off, uh, sorry, with Bo playing off of him. Um, and then you maybe bring on Pania to either stretch the, the attack on the left-hand side or to come in as the center forward. Yeah, no, and, and I agree with everything you said. I think if Teal Bunbury is out uh, sig- for a significant time, and I think Jeff Lemieux had an injury update yesterday, he said that Teal Bunbury is doing okay. He moved around a little bit, so it sounds like it might be an injury that Teal Bunbury is going to sit out a game or maybe come off the bench next game or something like that. Um, but yes, I, I think that, as you said, Caicedo 2 is the best like-for-like switch um, in, in the event that Teal Bunbury is out. And I, I do like the idea of a uh, JFC bow heel and Pania, as long as Pania is on the wing, uh, type of attacking four. Um, I, I also think, too, that Christian Pania is able to create a lot of chances one-on-one. I know he gets a lot of flack for maybe being a little lazy at times or not putting in a lot of effort. Uh, and But maybe maybe I have a little bit of 2008 Christian Pania uh, putting in a lot of bias. Um, but I think that if you get him some isolation, uh, he's able to kind of create some things on his own. Uh, so, I mean, I look at Diego Fagundes, who's kind of just stuck on an island over there and not really contributing a whole lot on the right side. I wonder if maybe Christian Pania fills in for the Diego Fagundes spot um, and, you know, is able to just kind of work the ball at the right wing and, and every now and then pulls off an amazing play. Uh, JF Caicedo, by the way, uh, Caicedo too, uh, Seth, still needs that fifth goal. Just want to remind you, I think I'm contract- contractually obligated to uh, remind you and Sean every time you guys are on the podcast that he still does not have five goals. So just wanted to um, <laughs> give you a quick reminder. Um, we did get a comment from Mike D. Uh, the Caicedo 2 sub was great timing, hold up play, and big body was a game changer. Um, he also has some comments. Uh, Gustavo Bo, uh, Gustavo Bo's reaction to his, uh, his goal was a beautiful sight to see. Uh, been too long since we had a major signing that wants to be here. Um, and he also says CJ Sapong's uh, stretcher, he puts stretcher in um, quotation marks, that type of game gamesmanship shouldn't be in the game. Uh, I guess CJ Sapong's, um, when he had the head injury, I think that's what he's talking about when he went off and then came on a minute later. Um, I think head injuries are something that you can't really 
fault for people taking too too seriously. I think that might be an MLS thing more than uh, CJ Sapong doing game gamesmanship. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, I think JFC impressed some people, and we'll be getting some more minutes going forward. We did get another question too that I think is a little obvious. Uh, is there any doubt at all that Gustavo Bo is the real deal? Um, Seth, I think you uh, kind of put that out there at the beginning. Um, Gustavo Bo seems like the real deal. I, I don't think there's any doubt that this is the guy that's going to be leading the Revs in the future. Um, I, I, I'll kind of tweak the question. Uh, it, give me, I, I, I'm giving you crap about the Caicedo over under goal estimate. Um, if you have a full season uh, of Gustavo Bo, um, what's a realistic expectation for how many goals he can score? Because right now he's got five goals in seven games. Yeah, and I think Bruce Arena said that if he had them all season, he'd be looking at a guy who scored 20 goals. I mean, I threw this out on, on Twitter, um, and, and it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but I mean, I, at this point in the season, like, who's more important? Is it Gustavo Bo or is it Carlos Hill? I think Carlos Hill is, is probably more important overall because he's the guy who's often given the assists to Gustavo Bo. He's the guy who is... Uh, working hard defensively, um, like any striker, Gustavo Bo is someone who who disappears for parts of the game, or you kind of like, hey, when's he when's he going to pop up? What's going on here? And then all of a sudden, he hits one of those world class goals, or he comes close on an attempt. Um, there are stretches of, of the, the 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 game where he's just not getting as many touches as you might like. I think that having been said, I mean, I think he's sharper than most uh, strikers that you might see see in the league. I think that you he's always a threat when he has the ball in his foot. And I think that he did a nice job. He helped orchestrate that first uh, goal by helping get that ball to Brandon Bay. Uh, so I think he, he is out there working hard. Uh, but you, you see Carlos Hill, and I think I tweeted this out as well. Like Carlos Hill is a type of player where the game will never be lost because of him. You know, like you'll never look at him and be like, ah, he didn't try hard enough or he didn't hustle back to cover his guy. Carlos Hill is giving 110% every single moment and, and, you know, passing and moving, getting behind the ball and being that, that defensive opportunity. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, he's a guy right now that the Revs need. You know, Gustavo Bow is, is, if the Revs get into the playoffs, um, it's, it's in large part because of Gustavo Bow. If he's not here, some of these games probably are tied. Some of these games are probably losses uh and, and you know he's someone that next year if if things continue i mean keep in mind like year to year things are always different Pania had a pretty good year of course it was kind of uh you could always put an asterisk on it because teams were going to figure him out and and a lot of it had to do with the press and what was happening with the press gustavo Bo is actually you know being a part of a team who's playing good soccer and he's done this in different leagues and and showed that he is a very talented player um but yeah, lots of reason to be excited about Gustavo Bo having a future in this in this league, and I can definitely see him being a twenty goal scorer, which would be crazy. I mean, I, I can't remember. Uh, it might have been Taylor Twelman the last time that this team had someone who scored over twenty goals. It's been a long time that it hasn't been goals by committee for this team. Yeah, and and I think twenty is actually might be a little conservative. I mean, he scored five goals in seven games, so we might be you know small sample size I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself but um i think having carlos heel uh, around him also helps him uh, I, I think if he's able to get some distribution and get a lot of chances um he'll he'll certainly put some home uh, and also as i said kind of at the beginning he's able to create his own chances um he's involved in the passing and distribution and in the midfield and um like we saw on saturday you know quick steal one touch shoots with his weaker foot um 
Yeah, I mean, he's a very, very dangerous player, um, and he seems to have all the tools to be a 20-plus goal scorer long-term. Um, actually, if I could take a stab at your question, though, Seth, about who's more important between Bo and Heal, uh, I, I think just in theory I will happily take the playmaker over the goal scorer every time. Uh, and I, I, I might be a little biased, too, because we saw Carlos Heal and the kind of the wonders that he did without a Gustavo Bo. Um, I think Gustavo Bo without a Carlos Hill would be a lot less effective. Uh, I think Carlos Hill kind of opens up some space for him and, and gives him uh, uh, more chances to finish off those uh, things, uh, uh, those those chances. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll take Carlos Hill if I have to pick one, but right now I'm uh, really liking the combination. Uh, another question from Discord, Gustavo Bo is the best striker, uh, fitting fitting name <laughs> based on the conversation. But he says, uh, can I exhale yet now that there's a slight gap between the Revs and the non-playoff teams? Uh, Seth, I think uh, 538 updated their MLS playoff odds. They're somewhere around 65%. Um, are you exhaling? Do you think the Revs are making the playoffs for sure? Or do you still think there needs to be work, work needs to be done? I mean, yeah, you can go. You can go two ways with this. Obviously, you could be the, the safer, easier thing to say is that this is MLS. The Eastern Conference is is uh, competitive. Everything can change week to week. I mean, I could say that answer, but I'd rather go for hot takes that you could expose later. And I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say that this team is going to make the playoffs. Um, when I look at the Eastern Conference standings. Their competition, uh, you look at Orlando City, and Orlando City is just too inconsistent. I mean, they're up and they're down, and they're up and they're down. And this time of year is where you need to be getting hot, and you need to be consistently winning games. So to me, I don't think uh, Orlando is going to make it. Um, I actually thought that, I, I know they have some, they've already played uh, more games than a lot of the Eastern Conference players, but I thought that uh, Chicago might have been the biggest threat. Um, they they were on a hot streak up until this Saturday. They were, they were pulling together some wins. It seemed like the team was rallying and, and having a, a chance to make the postseason. And I thought if they wanted Gillette Stadium, uh, they get closer to that playoff line. And they have a lot of games coming up against Eastern Conference teams where if they get those points, uh, they're keeping teams below them and they're moving up the, the standings. Uh, so I thought this game was really huge for the Revs to – to put Chicago away, and and um, my guess is Chicago doesn't have a chance now. Uh, Montreal is an interesting one because they fired their coach. Um, that always creates some sort of bump, even though they lost in the weekend to Toronto FC. Uh, it'll be interesting to see with more time what Wilmer Cabrera, a coach who himself got fired um, this season and was only only out of the job for like ten days, something like that. Uh, if he can, is able to 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 fix this, fix things and right the ship and uh, get them into a playoff spot, um, it was interesting that that press conference because he he said that he wasn't sure if Montreal had ever practiced set pieces uh, under their previous coach. So it was interesting for a guy because and previously before that he said he felt really bad for you know uh, Remy Gar because he just went through it and getting fired and then kind of threw shade at him saying. This team that I inherited doesn't seem to be um, doesn't seem to be you know practicing and co- be comfortable uh, doing and defending set pieces. So that was kind of interesting. So maybe Montreal you know causes some problems for the Revs, uh, but you know you even look at DC United. I mean DC United is on a slide. DC United is now you know previously I think DC United will make the playoffs, but it's, it's even possible for the Revs to catch DC United. So in a conference where um, Everything's so turbulent, and, and you know no one's really 
finding that hot streak, except for the Revs. I mean, even though they, they've had some ties, they've had some losses, the Revs have done very well under Bruce Arena. So you imagine that, uh, you hope that that kind of trend continues. Um, so to me, I mean, I could take the safe route and say anything happens in MLS and, and you have to you be careful. But if you're going to be a little bit bolder, I, I'm happy to say that the Revs are going to make the playoffs this year. Yeah, I, I agree. And you kind of went team by team. I, I, who's catching them? I mean, right now you're looking where they are in the standings. They're in sixth place, so they need two teams to overtake them. I think this was a you know an elimination game of sorts for Chicago. They don't seem to have a whole lot of gas in the tank. Even when they were tied one one, they didn't really push up forward. And I thought they'd be a little more aggressive to um, take all three points, but they seem to be happy with a the tie. They only have one road win on the year, so you know, are they gonna you know catch up? They're five points down from the Revs, and they have two they've played two more games. Um, you know, Orlando, they're four points down. They've played another game. Montreal fired their coach, as you said, um, and they got Wilmer Cabrera, which is not a big upgrade at all. But uh, they're down four points, and they've also uh, played one more game than the Revs. Um, you mentioned DC United. Um, I actually went to that game uh, in Philadelphia. I really wanted to see Wayne Rooney, and I didn't realize he was out until after I bought the tickets. I was at a wedding. I didn't know that happened. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, uh, DC United looked terrible against the Union. That game was 3-1. It should have been 5-0 in the first half. Um, they've played two more games in the Revs. They're one point ahead of them. Um, it looks like they've checked out. looks like um, uh, Acosta is ready to leave, and Wayne Rooney obviously is ready to leave. I don't know what they're playing for. They seem to be kind of just drifting along, so I actually expect the Revolution to pass them. So not only are the Revs going to make the playoffs, in my opinion, I don't see how they finish seventh. Uh, I, I think they're a top-six team based on their form, uh, based on their the other teams in the East that are kind of just kind of drifting by. Um, and I think if the Revs beat Toronto this weekend, which is a very, very good possibility, I, I, they've been hot and they have another home game. Um, I mean, I, I, I think that there is a much greater chance of the Revolution getting a home playoff game than dropping out of the playoffs. So um, I hope this is not played back to me in you know October and November, uh, but I'm very confident that this is a playoff team um, and, and I don't, I'm not saying they will get a, a home playoff game, but I think it's more realistic that they catch the Red Bulls than they let Montreal and Orlando and Toronto all pass them. So now, now that I've kind of dug that hole that I might regret in a few months, uh, we did have another question uh, from Gustavo Bo is the best striker on Discord. Uh, and this is actually a bit of a fun one. Uh, and I, I had to text Sean to get his uh, uh, input. And he's got some good answers. But I'll, I'll go to you first, Seth. In, in light of rivalry week, who is your least favorite player in Chicago Fire history? Um, don't know if you have an answer off the top of your head. Sounds like you got one. Yeah, I would say Blanco, right? I mean, uh, Blanco was was a classic villain. Um, he was a guy that you know showboated when he came to this league. Was was even though he's an older player, was able to do these different types of magic. I mean, he's the type of player that got into players' faces and and just like was an instigator. You know, like he. he and he was good, and that's kind of like what you need in a villain. You want the you want the guy to, to to be a little full of himself, but also be good because when he hits the goals, you just hate him that much more, you know. Um, so a block goes the one that sticks out immediately in my head for the most hated Chicago Fire player. And yeah, and, and this was a little before my time, so I feel a little weird answering this question because I feel the Chicago Fire and Revolution rivalry uh, predates me. So I'm just going to defer to Sean because I. 
I texted him and he gave me multiple answers other than Blanco, who seems to be the obvious choice. And I, I, I get it. I would guess if you've polled Russ fans, Blanco is um, the one that most would say. But uh, Sean mentioned uh, Justin Mapp because uh, he was a bit of a revs killer. Uh, and he also said that he created the goal that sent the Chicago Fire to the 2003 MLS Cup over the revs in the Eastern Conference final. So that's one that Sean has. Um, he also mentions Zach Thornton, although that's a little bit more personal because I guess Sean had to interview him once. Uh, and he was, um, I'll say a very poor interview, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, the one that I liked the most from Sean, uh, was Peter Nowak, uh, who is a Chicago fire legend who was traded to the revolution and then immediately retired. So the revolution ended up getting a, uh, undisclosed draft pick. I'm sure it's disclosed at this point. It was 15 years ago and I didn't do my research, but, um, he retired instead of playing for the revs and, and I looked it up, and apparently uh, he was the manager of the Philadelphia Union and participated in ugly forms of hazing, chastised players with concussions, uh, and clashed with the team's head trainer over player safety. He also violated terms of his contract and the MLS collective bargaining agreement before being fired in June 2012. So I would also, I, I would like Peter Nowak, just an overall um, crappy person who refused to play for the New England Revolution uh, yeah, I, I gotta jump in there real quick and, and say uh, if you are interested in learning more about um, Peter Novak and his time as coach of the Philadelphia Union, you gotta check out the Betty and Sal podcast, which I would recommend anyway. The podcast is amazing. I know a lot of people, a lot of Reds fans dislike Benny Failhaber. I'm a big, I'm actually a big fan of Benny Failhaber. I think he, uh, I think he's just a hilarious guy with some great insight. Um, and some great stories as he, he hosts this podcast. But it talks about, one of the podcasts talks about uh, how Peter Novak used to make his players uh, run and refuse to give them any type of water uh, in the hot heat to the point, and it got to the point where assistant coaches were actually like kind of hiding water and trying to sneak them to the players because they just were like, this is, this is out of control. And uh, there's also instances where the coaching staff uh, would spank players uh, who who had done something wrong, and uh, the guys have a little bit of fun with with Peter Novak. Um, they talked about how he, he's a great soccer mind, that he was a great assistant coach, but uh, maybe a little little too intense when he became the head coach. Uh, so yeah, definitely something to, to check out. I believe it's the episode with uh, Amobi Akugo, uh, which is episode seven. Uh, you can go back and, and listen a little bit about. Um, a little bit about him. You can also check out the Dax McCarthy uh, McCarthy episode where he says that uh, he would rather retire than go to the New England Revolution, mm-hmm. uh, and that got a little bit of hate on on uh, on Twitter. Though to Dax's credit, he says that the Revs are probably better off now that um, better off now that Bruce Arena is in charge, and they'll probably get a little bit of a better reputation. Uh, but he said basically that he didn't have a lot of interesting going to new england and uh benny kind of jumped in there and saying based on his experience uh he agreed with with dax's uh point of view so definitely take a listen this week was actually uh josh lambo who who plays who's a goalkeeper who is now a kicker in nfl uh and they talk they actually do talk a little bit about gillette stadium and how windy it is um but yeah it's a great listen and it's a it's a a podcast besides this one that you should yes. definitely listen to. Yes, after you're done listening to this, go listen to that one. So, um, yeah, a lot of good Peter Nowak's, uh, Novak stories. Uh, 
fair to say that we are a pro Matt Turner, anti Peter Novak uh, podcast. So, um, and yeah, speaking, speaking of soccer players uh, turning into NFL kickers, I'm really looking forward to Carly Lloyd, future Philadelphia Eagles kicker uh, in the Super Bowl this year. I'm sure that'll, uh, I, 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 I don't know your thoughts on that, if she could make an NFL team, but um, we're going to transition to news of the week. I don't know if you saw the news that an NFL team has offered her to, uh, to be a place kicker uh, for a couple preseason games. Um, I, I think they got to do it. Uh, I would really love to see it. She hit a 55-yarder, so um, I'm not sure if she would cut it in the NFL just because I think all NFL kickers make 55-yarders, and I think it comes down more to accuracy and pressure and more of a mental game. But Lambeau, uh, Carly Lloyd. I think Steven Hauschka played soccer in college uh, before he won Super Bowls with the Seahawks. So, um, yeah, l- really good soccer football uh, kind of crossover going on right now. Yeah, and again, plugging that podcast, they talked about that, and uh, Josh Lambo talked about. Uh, and that does not. I don't want to go completely off a, a tangent here, but uh, Shellis Hyman's another name that comes up a lot. If you remember Shellis Hyman from the SC Dallas days, apparently he's another uh, pretty crazy coach that existed in MLS. Uh, but the guys actually do talk about, you know, how quickly did you learn to become a kicker and all the techniques? And Lambeau's like, I could teach you the techniques uh, in one weekend, basically. I could teach yeah. you everything you need to know. And basically, yeah, it is a mental game and having that confidence and being able to do it. Um, and, and, you know, they talk a little bit about, like, the form and the run-up. And they talk about how Carly Lloyd doesn't really have the form leading up to the kick. Uh, but, you know, it's something that they could teach and and. Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's super interesting because the guys are, are very light in there. They talk about uh, anything. They um, they try to get try to get the guys to, to spill on some some good stories that could potentially end up as headlines somewhere else. Uh, so definitely check it out if you're interested in, in MLS as a whole or this week uh, the whole Carly Lloyd thing. I do want to kind of rewind to uh, pre Carly Lloyd because you mentioned a point that um, I think I've brought up to Sean off the podcast. Um, but I'm really excited to see this offseason because one criticism I've had um, in the past, is, you know, and, and obviously there's a whole stadium issue that won't change. But um, we've talked about how Ron Waxman, you know, doesn't want to work with didn't want to work with Mike Burns um, and how, you know, player they had a difficult time recruiting players to New England. I'm really curious to see. A, the roster turnover, how many players are leaving New England um, with Bruce Arena, uh, and two, if you see a lot more MLS veterans come to New England, because I think what Dax McCarty emphasized of, you know, he would never play in New England, um, I I think that was kind of a commonplace idea. I I don't think that's an unpopular opinion, and I'm wondering if Bruce Arena has kind of changed that, and you saying that Dax McCarty kind of had the, oh, well, it's probably better with Bruce Arena there. Um, You know, that that has me a little bit excited that we might see some... um, incoming players that um, the revolution wouldn't not have been able to uh, recruit before. So I'm, I'm a little excited about this offseason. Um, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, uh, we heard rumors that Bruce Arena was thinking about bringing in Dave Romney, an LA Galaxy player who, who hasn't played as much since Bruce Arena played, uh, left. But he was a guy that, um, that Bruce Arena heavily lied, relied on. And uh, they, they call him Super Dave over in the LA Galaxy. So I'd be curious to see, like you, uh, how much turnover we see. The Revs have historically not been a team that does have a lot of roster turnover. Um, maybe they lose a couple guys, but they bring a couple guys back in. Uh, Bruce Arena has said that his, this roster was better than he thought, so maybe we don't see a ton of turnover. But if we do, I, I'm more confident that Bruce Arena 
will be able to bring in players. I think in the past, there was a little bit of a fear by the Revolution front office that if they lose guys, they wouldn't be able to replace them with someone who's equal or better. I think now there's a little bit more confidence that uh, Bruce Arena and his scouting team and his connections will be able to bring in the right guys. Bruce Arena might be able to find some of those diamonds in the rough, like a, a Dave Romney, and bring them bring up and um, make something out of him. Uh, so, yeah, definitely going to be really exciting to see what happens. And, I, and I, I usually say this, and people criticize this thought, but I think that those, you know, that first, second, third um, signing, that can really set the tone sometimes where, um, like, the same thing happened with Gustavo Bo. I mean, Gustavo Bo was finalized so quickly in that, that window. It was a sign that this team is going to be different, that they're able to not only find their targets but get them over the, the finish line. And if you think back before Bruce Arena, there's so much talk about we're scouting all year long. These things are not easy. Just because the window's open doesn't mean that it happens right now. We have a long time to get these things over the finish line. Uh, even though the window's closed, we're still looking for players. I mean, a lot of talk that, that fans really got sick of, you know. And, and sometimes the Reds did deliver on those promises, but sometimes those, those things that they delivered were a Claude Dielna at the last minute or a Mancian at the last minute or a Machado or a... Uh, you know, Hache, players that just were underwhelming and happens too late in the, the, the window. So I'd be really curious to see when that offseason begins, how active are the Revs at at first, when do the signings happen, what quality are the signings. Uh, and I think that maybe, you know, those first one, two, or three can really tell us if things are different in New England. Yeah, and we won't wait uh, three windows for Mapoku, who uh, doesn't decides he doesn't want to come here anyway. Uh, there's also th- those uh, those types of transactions or, or rumors, I should say. Two players that are going to be staying in New England uh, in the near future are uh, goalkeepers Matt Turner and Brad Knighton. They both signed extensions last week. Uh, Matt Turner's was described as a multi-year extension, and Knighton's wasn't. So. I'm going to randomly speculate uh, with no knowledge or basis that Brad Knighton signed a one-year contract extension. Uh, obviously, both contracts are not known. The, the terms are undisclosed per MLS policy, which is really annoying, uh, and no one's reported the terms yet. Uh, but uh, for Matt Turner, uh, usually rookie contracts are four years, and this is his fourth year in the league, so um, kind of snuck up on everyone since Matt Turner kind of rode the bench uh, for two years, but it it appears he was in a contract season, um, and obviously it's good for the revolution that they locked him up long term. Uh, and in terms of Brad Knight, too, I think this is a good boost for him, a good sign that Brad Arena trusts him as a number two keeper. Um, and given his age, I, I think a one-year contract or a year-to-year contract is you know, not necessarily unusual. Um, but, uh, Seth, any thoughts on uh, the goalkeeping pair, and uh, are you confident with Turner and Knighton going forward? Yeah, I mean, obviously pro Matt Turner podcast. I've been a fan Absolutely. of Matt Turner for, for quite a while. Um, he's just, I, I think with him, he's just athletic and he's getting better as time goes on. And I, I think I probably mentioned it here or somewhere else before, uh, but Car- Kevin Hartman, uh, MLS legend had a, a really good quote, some good insight when he said that goalkeeping is a position that you stick with a guy. You put a guy in there, let him go through his lumps, let him gain experience and he'll get better and better and better. If you take him out and um, you know, play him for a few games and take him out and play him for a few games. His confidence is going to go up and down, and he's not going to have the ability to reach his full potential. Uh, so I, I, I go back to one of the best things that Brad Friedel did when he became coach was name Matt Turner as a starter. 
and then he took the position away from him. You know, it was just crazy that like one of the few things that Brad got right, he then messed up later on. Uh, Matt Turner, just the, the guy that can, you know, be athletic, make a big save. Uh, he's getting better with his distribution. He's getting better with commanding his box. Uh, but most of all, I just think the, the, the biggest thing is that when the game's on the line and that shot comes in, and it's it's one. I mean, look back at the the Red Bulls game, right? I mean, uh, those types of games and those types of moments, Matt Turner is up for. So that's great. Um, Brad Brad Knighton is just a nice guy. He's a locker room guy. He's a veteran guy. But he's a guy that's also good enough that if he comes in, you feel confident enough that he's going to do a fine job. Uh, so I'm fine with him continuing his career here. Um, my guess is that he has a few years left. I agree with you that it's probably a one-year guarantee with a few option years, so it would be club year-to-year from there on out. Uh, and I, I'm sure Brad's okay with that. His family, um, he, he's got to be thinking about what comes next. Uh, so, yeah, obviously those are, those are fine choices. Uh, the bigger question, of course, is what's going to go along with uh, Cody Cropper. Yeah, I, I was actually going to go there next. Uh, Cody Cropper, I believe this has happened since we last recorded, but uh, he's going to be playing with Hartford Athletic for a little bit. Looks like he's got the starting job in Hartford. Um, he's still training with the Revolution, uh, but the Revs are giving him some minutes. Um, Seth, I don't know what you think. To me, this is a bad sign for Cody Cropper. Um, you know, he's 26 years old. I can't imagine he's okay being the number three keeper. I think he would probably want to play elsewhere this is year three with the revolution i i don't think he's making any headway into um you know breaking through with matt turner and brad knighton and if brad knighton's contract was ending um you know cropper i believe is actually making less than brad knighton right now uh, i don't have that number in front of me but either way you know if brad knighton's contract was ending um hypothetically let's say that um you know, the Revs could have gone with a Turner-Cropper goalkeeping pair. I don't think anyone would have um, blamed them that much. Uh, but I think signing Matt Turner, he's obviously your guy going forward. And then Brad Knighton as the veteran keeper, um, he, he seems to be locking down that number two role. Um, this seems to me that this might be the end of Cropper's revolution career. Um, are you taking it that way too? Yeah, and, and I'll first start by saying... Um, I, I like what Bruce Arena is doing here where he's he's trying to be also fair with the players. Um, guys that aren't going to get minutes in New England, he's shipping out somewhere else. It kind of started with Gabriel Somi and, and saying, you know what? You're not going to play here. You're not you're, – you're, things aren't going well here for you. Let's just agree to, to part ways. And I'm sure there are some stuff behind like, – financial stuff beside behind the scenes that had to happen. Um, but that's just a fair thing to do for the team. It's a fair thing to do for the player. Um, he Gabriel Somi hasn't linked up with another team, but at the time Gabriel Somi basically said that being released now allows me to get some looks over in Europe, over in Scandinavia. So this is a better time for me to get released. It doesn't look like it worked out that way, but it seemed like it was a fair thing to do to the player. You see that Justin Ranks gets loaned out to USL. Isaac Yanking, the same thing. And I think that, that Bruce Arena is being fair to Cody Cropper and saying, like, you're not going to play here. Why not go out to USL, get some minutes? You can still train with us, get some high-quality training. You have three guys here. Usually they run a session. We need three guys uh, that are goalkeepers. Um and then at least that puts you on on the shop window to say, okay, Cody Cropper hasn't been just sitting on the bench this entire time. He's gaining game minutes. Oh, there's some highlight reels that, that they can look at. So I just like Bruce Arena doing that and putting guys on the shop window or, or being fair to them and say, you're young. 
the only way you're going to develop is to get minutes. You're not going to do that just sitting in, in, in New England and playing these random reserve games that we have set, set up for you. Uh, but yeah, my guess is that Cody Cropper will be on the move. He probably wants that to happen. Um, I will say that I don't – it feels kind of late for Cody Cropper. It feels like that the Revs should have traded him earlier when maybe he has a little bit of, of name recognition. Uh, but maybe they just they, – they basically – almost basically agree that we'll just send you off because we want to be fair to you if, if there are suitors out there that are interesting to him. Uh, he is still young. He is still someone that had you know some European pedigree, uh, someone who, who was a U.S. national team potential player at some point. Uh, but I, I don't know if I ever see uh, Cody Cropper becoming a full-time starter again. I mean, you, even you look at Bobby Shuttleworth. Bobby Shuttleworth at this point has been loaned to Sacramento, um, and he was a guy who had m- much more experience overall than Cody Cropper. So definitely tough for him uh, in this position. Yeah, and I, I think you put it very well. I mean, um, I, I think for Cody Cropper's career, I think it might be best to go elsewhere if he's not going to be getting minutes and if he's not getting into the 18. I do think he's better than uh, you know a USL team. I think he should get an MLS job. I don't know if he's going to get a starting job, um, but you have to think that some team out there would put him in the 18 uh, in the, on the bench or, or something like that. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I don't vision him as wanting to be a number three keeper who bounces back and forth between Foxborough and Hartford. Um, so uh, it's, it, we're reading in between the lines. Maybe Cropper has a contract, an option contract next year. And the revs, you know, are really happy with their goalkeeping situation and wants to, to kind of keep the three guys they have. Um, but I, I'm not, totally sure about that and, I'm not, and i think for cody cropper um i think his career might benefit if he ends up somewhere else so uh and and i do just kind of want to um for no reason at all just kind of take some stabs at what we expect matt turner to make um i've kind of done some research uh, matt turner was one of the league's best values at about seventy six thousand. Uh, he's still on that rookie contract um and a lot of people were talking about this on twitter this is why i'm bringing it up um but I mentioned my guess for a Matt Turner contract. I'm going to put it around a guaranteed two or three year contract with some team options. Um, and I'm going to put his salary around 275,000 a year, which I think might come as a surprise to people, but that's really solid um, MLS starter money uh, among goalkeepers that would put him 13th in the league. Um, that's really, I think a fair deal for him. That doesn't even put him in the top 10. I, Sean thinks that's too high. Sean thinks that his sample size is small. Um, and obviously he would not be a free agent, so he doesn't have a whole lot of negotiation room, uh, but there's a new CBA, uh, coming next season. So I think a lot of te- a lot of players will be getting raises. Uh, so I, I, I fully expect Matt Turner to have gotten a uh, pretty significant raise of about 200,000 ish. Um, at least there was some discussion on Twitter about, uh, where his numbers would be. And I saw as low as 150, um, and as high as 500,000. Uh, so I, I don't think he's in the Bobby Shuttleworth range. And I also don't think he's in the Andre Blake range, but, um, I, I if I'm to submit an official guess, I'm going to put it in that 275 to 300,000 region. Um, and as, in terms of Brad Knighton, who was making 111,000, I don't expect him to be too, too far off. He might get a raise because the new CBA, um, but 125, 130 is probably where he's going to end up. I don't think his contract's going to change too, too much. Uh, Good. Yeah, I think that that's fair money for, that would be fair money for Matt Turner. I think that that uh, it'd be interesting to see what his final sum is because it could say something about this new regime of the revolution. In the past, it's been kind of the the mode to or their, their agenda to sign 
younger players to low contracts and then give, you know, what seem like significant bumps. But if you compare their contributions to people that are doing similar things around the league, it hasn't been as good of money. You look at Diego Fagundes. I mean, Diego Fagundes has been asleep for quite a while. He's had some very stellar seasons for the New England Revolution, but he's not getting the, the money that his counterparts are probably getting. So um, if he ends up getting that much money, that's, that'd be pretty significant to say that this this ownership, uh, this front office, is is thinking a little bit differently than in years past. My guess is that maybe like 180 or something like that would be a fair amount for him right now. That's a you know about a hundred thousand um, dollar raise for him. Uh, the small sample size, like Sean mentioned, is, is a factor in that. The fact that he doesn't have free agency. I mean, where's Matt Turner going to go? Matt Turner has to leave MLS really if he doesn't accept this offer because the, the thing is the league has to approve contracts. So um, they might say, oh yeah, like giving $100,000 for a guy who's only been a starter for a couple of years and, and lost his job a couple times, that seems like a fair thing. And they might just totally be okay with signing off on that. Um, so I, I think that you're probably right in the sense that that's probably what he deserves given his potential. And if you want him to be 100% happy and, and you know he did call New England his home now, uh, maybe you give him that type of contract. But my guess is that uh, given the salary cap, given the fact that he has low options about where to go, that we might see him around that uh, 180,000 range. Yeah, and, and you mentioned a good point too about you know the limited rights players have when their contract ends because a lot of the argument came up, you know, did Matt Turner do the right thing signing a contract now and not before the CBA? Well, if you let the contract run out, you know, and let's say the CBA doesn't really come back in the player's favor. I mean, maybe the CBA gives players free agency, you know, under all conditions. If your your contract runs out, I don't see that happening. But, you know, I, I don't foresee, uh, you know, anything in terms of major free agency changes that would have helped Matt Turner a whole lot here. And you know what? There's only so many starting jobs in MLS. You know, Matt Turner is guaranteed one for, let's say, two or three years. I would imagine that this is a – the revolution have an have a option to keep him – three plus years uh so you know matt turner has the option to lock down a starting job for three years where he likes living uh the fans like him he's done very well um you know he's under bruce arena the team's doing well and going in the right direction um i i think for a um, career standpoint i think matt turner did the right thing of not trying to test the international or you know playing in mexico or playing in an, an international league uh, and instead kind of staying close to home and and uh, as you say it's not like he could go sign with another mls team um, he more or less would have to kind of force a trade out of here um, without a contract so um, yeah it, it's very limited rights it'll be interesting to see where that number comes out and how good of an agent he has uh, in negotiating contracts um, one other point from the week I just wanted to mention, but Zach Carabo kind of made a bit of news, uh, got red carded for getting into a shoving match with uh, Sergio Santos uh, in a uh, Bethlehem Steel Birmingham Legion match. Uh, Birmingham Legion actually is right now on a bit of a tear. I think they've gone unbeaten in some like five or six games straight. And I think Tommy Stone was the um, USL coach of the month last month. So uh, any rub south uh, making us proud. And Zach Carabo apparently is now a bit of an enforcer. So um I guess good for him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of revs that may not be here next year, but uh, Seth, uh, do you have any uh, final thoughts or anything you want to touch upon uh, before we wrap up? Yeah, I'll just say congratulations to Isaac Yankee got his first career off professional assist. So uh, we mentioned these loan deals. Um, I, 
yeah, Zachary Harifo, my guess is that he's is probably going to be gone. Maybe we'll see him in USL to try to build up his career a little bit. Uh, Brian Wright, probably the same type of thing. Um, so, But the other guys, the younger guys, Justin Reddix, we haven't heard much as far as – I haven't heard much. I'm not sure exactly how he's doing down in North Carolina. Uh, Isaac Yankin kind of, kind of working hard in his USL. So it's cool that we have some guys in USL working hard and, and um, you know, pl- playing for teams, getting some minutes, and hopefully developing and able to come back and, and contribute uh, to the future of the Revs. Yeah, and I mentioned a couple weeks ago um, that – um, Isaac Anking played really well. I watched one of those Charlotte games, and he played uh, tremendously well. I think it was his first week down there, and he was already kind of the number eight playmaker, not playmaker, but I don't know, heavily involved in the offense and the distribution. Um, so, yeah, if you get the chance, if you have ESPN Plus and you get a chance to watch some Isaac Anking, I, heard, I, I thoroughly uh, encourage you to do it. Um, in terms of final thoughts, Seth, I got to ask, have you heard Taylor Swift's new album yet? Have I heard? Uh, no. What's the What's the song that uh, was playing about the drama or whatever? That's all of them. They're all. It's Taylor Swift, so that's that's pretty much all of them. They're all about. Yeah. Them. So okay, then I've heard all of them. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's all it's all pretty much the same song. Uh, my twenty four year old coworker made me listen to uh, Taylor Swift's album the other day and uh, asked me for a review, and I was very polite and said it was okay. So uh, <laughs> she's yeah. It's it's no nineteen eighty nine. Seth, uh, what, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at SethMan31 on Twitter and uh, at TheBentMusket.com. I've been uh, trying to put up weekly three thoughts uh, and trying to get the conversation going. And you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. You can also like our Revolution page on Facebook. Please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening. Uh, the Revolution have another key Eastern Conference battle on Saturday, as we mentioned earlier, as they host Toronto FC at Gillette Stadium, 7.30 p.m. Uh, we'll be back with a new podcast to break that game down. And hopefully, hopefully, uh, if he's done with his like seven-week honeymoon or whatever uh, and is done with his podcasting break, I'll be able to uh, get Sean Donahue back on the podcast. Maybe I can take a week off uh, and enjoy my honeymoon, but uh, unlikely. I, uh, unlikely. Anyway, uh, until then, thank you, everyone, for listening, and go Revs.